Welcome to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice with Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid of Sagacious IP. This is a one-of-its-kind podcast focused on existing and aspiring solo or small patent practitioners, interviewing successful solo or small patent practitioners, and bringing to you proven, actionable insights to start, build, and grow your patent practice. Learn firsthand how to acquire, serve, and retain clients for long-term success. All this while effectively juggling the multiple roles that one has to play as a solo or small patent practitioner. If you run a solo or small patent practice or are planning to start one, whether you're currently in a mid-size or big law firm or coming fresh out of law school, this podcast series will help you learn from the successful ones who have faced and overcome the challenges you are dealing with. So let's get into the podcast with your hosts, Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid. Hello and welcome to today's episode of How to Run and Grow a Solo Patent Practice. Our guest Today is Dominica Hartman from Hartman Global IP. She runs her practice with Gary Hartman from Valparaiso, Indiana. She has had a long career out of which 30 years have been with uh, Hartman Global IP. And uh, Hartman Global IP has an impressive portfolio of 5,000 patents and an annual average filing of about 200, which is, which is really good. So let's take this conversation forward with her and learn from her experiences on how to run and grow a solo patent practice. Uh, Dominica, uh, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. And I'm humbled and honored to be here too. So, Well, thank you so much. So uh, Dominica, why don't you tell us a bit about Hartman Global IP, your firm? Okay. We're a small IP firm. Uh, we were founded in 1990. We uh, have handled exclusively IP matters since that time, so about 30 years now. We were founded or we started the practice kind of due to personal needs. My husband, Gary, and I both run the firm, and we're both registered U.S. patent attorneys. And prior to 1990, I worked for a large corporation, General Motors, as a patent attorney. My husband worked for a large IP firm. And uh, in 1990, we had our first child and uh, wanted to move because, of course, that was before people were telecommuting and things like that. But we wanted to move back by grandparents and really kind of wondered how we would do that, uh, looked for jobs. But then my boss at General Motors suggested that I take my entire GM docket and work from home, which 30 years ago was unheard of. And that was really the seed, just having those existing dockets, patent applications to pr prepare and prosecute. That was really the seed that allowed it, us to start the firm. And that was in 1990. And even though that GM work went away after about five years just because the company was reorganized and this, that, and the other thing. They went from about 40 attorneys down to two and such. That that was the seed that, that allowed us to establish the firm. And from that work, you know, I, I tell people all the time, do not burn any bridges because you don't know who or what event or circumstance is going to be able to open a door for you later in the future. But from those initial years, from that work, 
just attorneys that I worked with became directors at other corporations or inventors that I had worked with went off to start their own companies. And we always were called upon by these people to do work for them. So it just really, the the networking, it just really branched out and opened up. I think one thing as, you know, if, if, if I can leave one takeaway from this entire podcast for anybody who's thinking of, you know, uh, going into a solo or small patent practice is that um, you've got to make sure as a small firm that you provide that customer or that client with something that they can't get at one of the large firms. You know, they could go to one of these uh, very large IP firms and get all of the services that we provide. But we do it at definitely a better price for them, for one, but for two, we pride ourselves on absolute client, client service, client, um, just that that if a client wants to talk to us, they don't have to go through numerous layers of people. Um, you know, they can call us and talk to us and we will respond. We're very responsive to the client's needs. So that's something that you want to make sure you do. You cannot put that off to the side. That's got to be number one. But it was truly a leap of faith you know, 30 years ago when we started our firm, but again, have always tried to do the best job we can. And uh, we've got clients that uh, have been with us the entire 30 years. So we have a, we have very little, or I should say we have a very high client retention. So that's, that's, uh, you know, that makes us feel good. <laughs> so anyway, kind of a little background on us. Yep. Great. Uh, you spoke about the layers of people, and I think they're very much needed in a large organization, but when you have a smaller business or a solo practice, those layers of people are not there. And uh, many of the practitioners whom we speak with, they start their, their practice because they want to do things on their own and, you know, and largely outsource whenever possible instead of hiding on their payroll. So how are you structured at Hartman Global IP? We have the, the tendency definitely for, I think, anybody who starts a solo practice or a small firm is to want to do everything themselves. And and part of it is out of necessity because, you know, you're, uh, again, starting as a, as a leap of faith, whether it was us or whether whoever's starting it, and you, you know, want to avoid any additional costs, unnecessary costs, so you feel like you can wear every hat and do everything. Um so I, I get that. I know I've had other people start small firms, whether it's an IP or not. And I, I said, I understand that. But you have to recognize that your time as the attorney may be better spent um, doing the attorney work product versus, you know, everything. So as we have grown, you know, again, we've grown very purposefully. We've grown very kind of specifically. You know, we've looked at those needs and hired the people in-house that that to address those needs, but we've also outsourced those things that uh, the resources are better spent by outsourcing, such as our drafting, our patent drafting and such, such as, uh, you know, our payroll and accounting, things like that. Um, although, as I had previously mentioned, you know, with regards to the finances, you definitely, um, as a small firm, you know, my eyes are always looking over all of the uh, financial decisions and such. Um, 
you know, certainly back 30 years ago, but absolutely now at this time too, 30 years later. But definitely you want to outsource those things you can with regards to, let's say, searching, uh, with regards to the drafting, patent, uh, I mean, the uh, drawings. But as far as the attorney work product, we've never, we've tried on, on occasion to um, have some of that done elsewhere. Um, but if it's just never really worked, I would say to um, those that want to start their own practice, you know, with regards to the attorney work product that if, you know, that's you, you've got to handle all of that because that's what's um, is going to be representative of your firm to the client and to the outside world. So that you want to make sure you have very tight control over. So we've had attorneys that have worked with us that, you know, again, uh, we it's a very purposeful relationship because we've made sure that their work product aligns with what we expect out of our firm. Last time when we would, we, you know, in our last unrecorded conversation, you mentioned about, uh, you mentioned that quote about growing slowly and growing purposely. So I, I really like that quote. Maybe, uh, you know, in this conversation also, I'd, I'd like you to repeat it somewhere. Okay, sure. I think that, um, again, with regards to whether we outsource or grow, um, again, when we started 30 years ago, we were very, um, it was the two attorneys and we tended to try and do everything on our own. Um, we had a draftsman that I had worked with at General Motors. For, he retired after 40 years of being a patent draftsman. So he um, immediately took on our draftsman uh, drawings, our drawing work, um, until he was well into his 80s. And then he retired finally. <laughs> but um, we, when you are a small firm, you've got to be very purposeful, very careful, very specific about who you add to your team. You're, you want to make sure that, that you're very clear in what your expectations are and that this person is going to come on board um, being capable of handling those expectations. Um, you want to make sure that whoever it is that you take onto your team, that they are, um, that they communicate in the way that you want them to communicate, that they are capable of doing the work, that they represent your firm, because again, they're going to become a face and a voice of your firm. And you want to make sure that they are, um, that they align with what you want your firm to be represented. When you are in a, a large corporation or a large firm, it's not necessarily as important because there's, you know, you people kind of get dispersed or they kind of diffuse into um, this this much larger organization. But when you have a very small practice, you've got to make sure that everybody represents the firm as you want them to be represented or as you want the firm to be represented. So again, any hiring we've done, we've done very um very specific, very purposeful, very slowly, so that we really kind of brought people on as they were, as we, we saw that need. But I will say that we've had, over our 30 years, very little turnover. We just, I mean, if we have, if we have brought that person in on the team, they've wanted to stay and they've stayed for a long time until retirement or, or that type of thing. So 
you know, I think that that's uh, hopefully we've done what what we've we've done a good job of hiring, and hopefully they've been very happy. I will say too, as a small firm, <clears throat> because it is truly a team effort, we have um, done our best as the attorneys to make sure that people feel very appreciated, you know, because we can produce the work product and we can produce what is kind of the bread and butter of the firm, but it doesn't get out the door or it doesn't get, uh, you know, the invoices don't get sent um, without the team. And that's where we want to make sure. So, you know, we may be producing the work product, but everybody in here is as, is as essential to the, the whole operation as nobody is less essential <laughs> than anybody else. I'll put it that way. So again, very purposeful. Thanks for indicating the last last part was also very valuable. Uh, nobody is less essential than anybody else. And, and the way you highlighted the role of uh, other people in the organization in, in your firm. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's pretty interesting. Absolutely. I think one thing too is again, since we're talking about this small firm, you have to make sure that, you know, every team member, every, every, everyone here, that they recognize that, you know, the client, people will sometimes say to me, oh, it must be nice being your own boss. I say, no, we're not our own boss. It's like I have about a hundred bosses, <laughs> you know, I mean, they all, it's, the client is, is truly always right. The client, again, each client has their own unique requirements, their own unique needs. And, you know, we will bend over backwards for every one of the, every one of them. And you, not just me as the attorney, but everybody in this office will definitely um, knows that, you know, customer satisfaction is, is the key. You know, we're going to give them the absolute best product, the best price, because they could obviously go to a much larger firm. They could go to other firms, but we want to make sure that they want to come to our firm. I will say that, uh, you know, you've got the questions like, how is this, how is life as a solo practitioner or a small firm been different from working for a larger law IP firm? And how is it practicing IP independently? I will say that the, there's definitely pros and cons. You know, one of the reasons we established our firm was because we wanted that work-life balance. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that you work any less than you would at, uh, you know, a corporation or a large firm. In fact, I'm sure if you spoke to any small firm or solo patent practitioner, they would say that they actually work more than they would at, you know, a large firm or a corporation because you, you know, you are always, there's always a client that's requesting something. But we have been very, very, we have been very amenable to not only as the attorneys, but as the team members that, you know, that you've got to be happy in your work-life balance. And if you're not, then you're not going to be happy at work. And, you know, when I was, when our children were small, I always, you know, would work. I, I, I preferred to work, let's say all day on Saturday, if it meant that at 
three in the afternoon, I was home with the kids when they came home from school. You know, my husband, Gary, he uh, loves soccer and he coached a lot of soccer teams as the kids were growing up. And he would rather have taken off two hours in the afternoon to coach soccer, but he might be filing that response at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office at 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) So we have always been very open to structuring the firm and the work so that you could balance your work. You could definitely have your work-life balance meet the, the, the requirements and the the make it work for our team members. Um, you know, if they wanted to work from home um, years ago, even before the coronavirus, you know, they, they could, if they wanted to come in early and work it out so that um, they and their husband could work, uh, you know, make it work with their children. We did that. So we've always been very keen because we knew it was important to us. We've been very keen on making that work for our team. And maybe that's, you know, one of the reasons I assume that's one of the reasons that um, I'm sure that's one of the reasons it's that, you know, we've had a lot of longevity and that much turnover. So anyway, you asked to, you know, what's the difference between working as a small firm versus a larger law firm? Probably the biggest thing is that um, everything depends on when you're in a small firm, everything depends on, you know, your on the team members. When you're in a larger firm, things get distributed. There's this thought that that maybe you know, somebody else will pick up the slack or, you know, everything is not so dependent on your ability to get that job done like it is when you're in a small firm. You know, there's maybe a little more comfort when you're in that larger situation because you know that there's, you know, other people that are all adding to the, the work product. You know, I think when you're in a small firm, the highs are higher. Um, you know, you you um, you have great satisfaction in knowing that you've done this good job, that you've retained these clients, that you have this this you know robust portfolio. But it's also a little bit uh, maybe frightening <laughs> because when times are are tough or whatever, there's been recessions. You you know, everything is, is you feel maybe those lows a little bit more. Um, so you've got to make sure that, that, you know, if you're going into a solo practice or you're going into a small firm, got to have thick skin because again, you're going to ride the ups and downs, maybe a little bit uh, more. Uh, what do I want to say? The highs are going to be higher, the lows a little bit lower than if you're in a larger firm that can absorb these things, maybe a bit bit better. Um, even with the current, you know, coronavirus and such, you know, we've reached out to all of our clients to make sure that they know, hey, we're here, we're up and running, you know, it, it may be at home or whatever, but we're still doing what we need to do. But, you know, it can be, you can allow yourself to get a little bit overwhelmed thinking, oh my gosh, is the economy going to go to an absolute standstill? And yet, you know, we've talked to our clients and they're very 
Uh, everyone's absolutely still very optimistic about their work and some of our clients are busier than ever just because of the nature of what they do. So again, um, what's different between being in a smaller or solo practice versus being in a large organization? You know, everything rides on you in the small setting or the solo setting. And you've got to be um, very resilient and you've got to be very forward thinking. You know, when the highs are high, you've got to make sure that you really adjust or, or compensate or just look ahead for when those times might not be so high. Um, we have been, again, I use the term blessed. We've been very blessed over our 30 years, um, even in the 2008 recession. And, you know, even after 9-11, when the economy kind of went south a bit, uh, we have we have a nice broad customer client base that, that we've been able to absorb, um, you know, the ups and downs and things like that, so. Right. So um, you talked about uh, the enormous portfolio, and I don't know about uh, how low the lows have been, but uh, with a patent portfolio of almost 5,000 plus patents, the highs have really been high for you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when, when you talk about such a portfolio, and when you look at it, at it in the context of uh, both have been worked in large organizations, especially you know, you mentioned GM. It comes to thought that, uh, or it comes to mind that, uh, is, is that the reason why you were able to build such a big portfolio or did, uh, were there other reasons and uh, ways uh, how you built such a big portfolio? So what has been your experience uh, with, you know, the networks you have developed working at big organizations and otherwise in your own practice uh, in terms of building a portfolio? Well, you know, it's interesting because when we, again, took this leap of faith 30 years ago, if you had asked us, would we have, you know, that many, uh, you know, would we have this this 5,000 patent files open and such, I would have said, gosh, you know, I'll be happy to just open one, <laughs> you know. Um, and, but certainly when we started the firm, I think we probably had about, you know, 50 or something. So it was, you know, certainly not what we have here. But the I cannot stress enough if if there's somebody listening out there that wants to go into their own practice or you know start up a small firm you know you have to provide something that that the client is not going to get elsewhere um, you know they can again go to these large organizations or these large firms and they can they can get every service they want what they're going to look at and what they're why they're going to come back to you is because you do an absolute a number one job you know you do you provide them with work product that that's just excellent and and that they that customer responsiveness you know they if they say jump you say how high you don't question it okay so i say that because um, 30 years ago we would have never you know that that would have been just we would have been thrilled to think that 30 years from then we would have had the portfolio that we have, you know, but we have just done you kind of each day put that one foot in front of the other and you just do the absolute best job you can. We've had clients that we have had all these 30 years. We've had clients, again, very little. We've lost. We've, we Our client retention is very, very high. And I, um, I could probably count on one hand 
Um, I'm sure I could count on one hand over 30 years, those clients that maybe weren't pleased with what we did for them. But, you know, looking back, those clients are the kind of clients that probably didn't, wouldn't be pleased by anybody. You know, So um, we really, I, you know, I cannot stress the customer service. Um, we try not to, something that we do very different from a large firm, and I think is a small or solo practice, you, you have to do it this way, is that we don't bill our client for, you know, we don't nickel and dime them for everything. If they're going to, they, they want to feel like they're getting that work product at a set price, or they are getting that, that whatever that process, that prosecution or that, that end product, they, they, they want to feel as though they're getting a very, they're getting the best bang for the buck that they can get. They're getting, you know, the best work product at a, a at the price if, if, they, if they feel as though they're going to be nickel-dimed, everything else, they're going to go to the large firm. So, you know, I've, if your end goal is just to make the absolute most amount of money or the absolute, you know, bill for everything, then probably a solo practice or a small firm is not going to be for you. Because, again, you've got to provide something that companies and organizations aren't going to get elsewhere. Certainly, we've been able to, to bill out and to, to make, you know, at a very handsome rate. But when that client calls us just to ask a simple question that takes five minutes of our time, we're going to answer it for him and not bill him for it because he's, you know, which is unheard of at a large organization because he knows that he's going to get that customer responsiveness. You know, we've, we hear over and over and over, over our 30 years from universities from uh, corporations that they love the fact that they can call us and they can talk to us and they know that you know we're, we're, we're going to respond to them um, with you know with a very fair practice I think too um, when you're in a small or solo practice um, I've always said to these clients uh, that when when they've said to me that they feel as though you know, they've, that they're very pleased with our services, whether it's the work product and or the customer service, they're very pleased. And I've, I've said, because again, we're located um, about an hour and 15 minutes outside of a large, outside of Chicago, which is a large metropolitan area for anybody who's not familiar with the U.S. or the, the Midwest. But, you know, they, they could go into Chicago for these large firms, but they come to us. And I always have said that, you know, I have to be able to look at our client. I can't hide behind many layers of, of you know, administrative assistance or whoever. Um, you know, they're going to see the face of me with the face of the firm. Um, so you have to provide that service. Boy, oh boy, I forget what your original question was. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that that uh, that was in line with my question. Yeah. So, yeah. can I hear you, uh, Dominica? What I hear are two sort of resounding themes. Uh, one is uh, the focus on on the customer, and uh, the emphasis on a good team. And uh, you know, I, I would like to sort of uh, uh, focus on on the second part, the 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 team part um, and get more views from you on, on this topic in terms of your portfolio, in terms of what you're filing, like 200 filings a year and you're like two patent attorneys and two paralegals. 
probably, I mean, please confirm if, if that's the right number. And uh, uh, with that kind of a team, you know, you're able to achieve uh, this level of performance. So what's your approach or, you know, strategy towards sourcing your team and what aspects of work do you deem very core to your business that you keep in-house and, and what aspects do you utilize uh, like external professionals? Yeah, um, good question. With regards to um, the number of filings and such, we really, uh, that is, that is, we handle the attorney work product. We have a couple of attorneys that we rely on, um, or I should say that we call on and rely on um, that are actually do work for our firm, but because of their personal situations, one is a stay-at-home mom now who is a registered patent attorney. One is another um, attorney that because of health reasons uh, doesn't work full-time, but they work for our firm. But again, when we talk about that work-life balance, they actually, you know, I, if they only want to work part-time at this point, that's fine. I get it. I understand. But they provide us with that work product too. Um, so we've got, again, that team approach. But as far as the attorney work, we handle all of that. But with regard to our filings, uh, with the actual USPTO filings, with regards to the trademark filings, anything like that, we have two paralegals that are just awesome. And, um, you know, that's what they do nonstop. Um, you know, I shouldn't say nonstop, but, you know, they, they make sure that we handle, we send to them the application. Uh, we typically have the drawings done outside. Uh, you know, that we've got a couple of sources um, outside of the firm. They, we get our draftsman's drawings. They put together the IDS, uh, you know, the ADS, any of the filings. But we, what we provide to them is here's the finished application. Now do your thing. And, um, you know, that's what they do and they do excellently. Um, you know, it's, you've got to have, I cannot stress enough, you have to have that, that level of trust that you just know they're going to do an excellent job and, and they do. You know, they both have, I'm thinking paralegals, they both have a minimum of about 25 years of experience doing this. So again, uh, when our, for instance, when our, um, we had a, a woman who did all of our filings, she retired about a year and three months ago. She was with us for 18 years and just handled patent filings, just the patent filings. Uh, when she retired, we spent about a year looking before she retired to find somebody who would, could replace her, you know, who was familiar with uh, the USPTO pair who had done this. Well, we, um, again, very much lucked out in that, um, you know, Christine came on board and had worked in Chicago at a large firm doing nothing but filings for about 10 years. So again, you know, this, we just very slow, very purposeful. Uh, when Gail was retiring, you know, again, we had about a year's, you know, notice. She, we were very close. Uh, again, we're this very close team. So um, she wasn't giving us just two weeks notice. She knew that she'd be, uh, it'd be hard to replace her. So, you know, we, we had a long time and we really took our time finding the right person again, not only for the skill set, but for the, you want to make sure that not only do they have that skill set that you require, but that they have 
the face, the voice, the communication skills that are going to be representing you to the client and to the public. Even I, you know, I, I will say with regard to our customers, you know, we, we have a very, uh, we have a, a wide variety, everything from, uh, you know, the, the person who came up with an invention in their garage to, uh, you know, Fortune 100 companies to universities. Each one of them has their very unique needs, their very unique requirements, etc. So whoever it is you bring on, they have to be very agile. You know, they have to be able to do, yes, the work. They have to be able to handle that assignment, those filings, but they also have to be able to deal with this variety of all these different requests and needs from the various clients. Um, so again, I use that word purposeful, but again, we took a long time to replace. But as far as the attorney work product, that's what the attorneys do. But everything else uh, we, you know, is handled by our, our staff. Um, you know, again, whether it's the invoicing going out, whether it's the filings, you know, that is all handled by non-attorney, that, that work products. And again, how did we, you know, how did we get this portfolio? Um, kind of one step at a time, one day at a time. We just kept moving forward as we've had clients, you know, our clients have been with us for a long time. Um, and I should say, too, that, you know, we've also um, have had instances where we have lost a client, not so much because of, they weren't happy with us, but because of that client situation, I think of one particular instance uh, where we had two gentlemen um, start a company. They it had to do with your flash drives. We over a course of about eight years, we um, oh gosh, grew their patent portfolio to about thirteen or thirteen about thirty five U.S. patents. Um, we had filed internationally on those patents. We had probably trademarks of about 30 U.S. Uh, trademarks and numerous international trademarks. So we had a real substantial portfolio for them. And then um, after about eight years, they were uh, purchased by um, a large corporation that just absolutely purchased them, bought everything out and um, said, okay, well, we're going to use our own IP <laughs> IP firm, you know, sorry, Hartman Global. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's like, oh, don't mind it. That hurts. <laughs> but you move forward, you know, thankfully you have enough uh, other clients that, that, but certainly we felt that uh, we felt that pretty, pretty hard pretty significantly. Um, another company I think of, you know, they had, at that time, they were providing probably about 40% uh, of our, our annual revenue. And um, in their case, um, they were uh, restructured and uh, we were working for one particular division. They were restructured and the restructuring um, such that, you know, that the we lost, you know, the the business. They were bought out, et cetera, et cetera. And again, um, you know, there's those transitions that you don't always have control of. Um, but again, they were about 40% of our revenues. So that was a really a big hit too. So again, when I go back to, if you're going to have a solo practice or small practice, you've really got to have the stomach for it. You know, it's, it's 
you know, you ride the highs, but those lows can be lows. I think when you're in that bigger organization or that, that large organization, again, um, you know, you've got a lot more buffer space. Um, but again, it's been very satisfying to have the small firm, you know, not only from that work-life balance, but just from uh, the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, you've, you've made a lot of clients happy and you've done a lot of good work for them. So, yeah, I think that that's a wonderful experience to have once you have satisfied customers and, and your team also is able to deliver to, to what they expect. So um, when you go about uh, engaging external uh, partners in, in terms of uh, delivering the work products, um, what approaches work best for you in terms of identifying and selecting such partners? When we look to um, look for you know, an outside, right, when we have to go for outside um, help, whether it's the draftsman, whether it's, um, you know, our searching capabilities, you know, it's it's something because uh, we are, we, we're very loyal. <laughs> you know, we've, we've, I will say, we again have long-term partnerships, but what we have looked for is that they, just like we are responsive to our clients, we want to make sure that whoever we seek out or whoever we work with, that they are responsive to us. You know, we we do not treat our clients as just another number. Um, so I don't want to be treated as just another number. I want that personal relationship with whoever it is, whether it's the draftsman, whether it's the searchers, you know, that type of thing. I want to be able to call on them and say, hey, this just came up. Um, we've got an urgent situation, you know, our client called, they need this filed by Friday. Can you make it work at your end? And, you know, we don't call their bluff. We, we've always, again, I think something that if you're in a small firm, you've got to be very cognizant of is you've got to have a real tight rein on what are the upcoming due dates? You know, what, what's, what's coming up. So I always try to give whoever it is that I'm working with on the outside, whether it's the draftsman, whether it's the searching capabilities, um, that they have, you know, I don't, I'm not that, I'm not that person that's calling every week to say, oh, I've got a rush job. I've got a rush job. You know, again, I, I use that term, but it's whether it's hire, in hiring, whether it's in growing, whether it's in dealing with the client, but you've got to be very purposeful in your work. When I get, you know, when we have an action item coming due every morning, I'm the managing partner. So every morning I am reviewing what does our day look like for everybody? What does our week look like for everybody? What does our month look like? I am constantly looking at those due dates, those action items. You know, did we, we assumed this would take half a day. It ended up taking two days. How does that affect the rest of the work? So when I do call our outside help, our draftsmen, our, our searching capabilities, et cetera, I am, I am 90% of the time I'm telling them, hey, I would like these drawings by, you know, April 10th. I'm giving them three weeks or I'm giving them two weeks or, you know, so that when I do say to them, I need them in two days, I'm not, it's not a bluff. It's truly that I need them in two days because we've gotten a rush situation. So, you know, when I look at, when you look at the big picture at our, our entire portfolio or just our, 
you know, what our success with retaining clients and such, it's because we have been, we have, we have treated both our clients as well as our outside partners with respect that, you know, I understand that, hey, they're running a business, our outside partners or our clients. They want to be able to very, uh, you know, calmly move forward with their work. They're running a business. They don't want to have to feel like, oh, my gosh, that Hartman Global, it's always, it's always some urgent, crazy situation when I'm dealing with them. They want to be able to know that it's going to be steady. It's going to be done right. It's going to be done well. And so that when I do reach out to them in situations where, you know, maybe I need their services quickly or whatever, that they know they know me well enough. They know that this is this is truly a situation that warrants that attention, um, because, again, I treat them the way I want to be treated, you know, not only personally, but as a firm, personally and professionally. But we look to make sure that they're competent, that they are going to give us quality, the quality we want. They're going to give it to us the price, good pricing, um, and they're going to be responsive to our needs. That's probably the biggest. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I think the um, critical thing here is uh, to understand that uh, with these resources and with the customer focus that you have had and having spent almost 30 years uh, in, in this practice, how has the, these two aspects of your practice of generating the business, acquiring customers versus uh, delivering the business, which is more towards the deliverables, etc. How, how has that changed over time? Has that remained same or do you think the ways and means and methods that you used to follow at the start and, and now has uh, uh, significant? Oh my God. Everything has changed <laughs> in the 30 years. You know, it's, I mean, obviously, when I started, um, you know, everything was done by paper filings. Um, in fact, it's the express mailing hadn't yet been instituted at the USPTO, uh, you know, for, <laughs> that was a huge deal when express mail was instituted at the USPTO because then you could get that filing date, you know, generally speaking. You, I mean, everything was being still paper filings. You were sending things to inventors by uh, my mail. Uh, email was just being introduced. So it was a much slower process. And I say that good and bad. You know, I mean, the, the turnaround time, by the time, uh, you know, you sent this, the, the draft of the patent application, the inventor got it. And. Um, oftentimes you would then meet me go over it line by line with you, you know, because this was before you could track changes on word and you know things like that. So it was a very kind of methodical process, um, which was good in one way because it forced the both the attorneys and the client to really think things through. Now, I mean, everything is is electronic, you know, you've it's and and the, the beauty of that is that I mean, boy, we can turn things around quickly. We can really, um, it, it's I mean, obviously, it's just it's a it's it's just sped up the process and it's just um, kind of made the process so much more efficient. I mean, boy, we can you know finalize that document, upload it on on 
in the pair and we've got our filing, our application number and filing date instantly. I mean, so that's great. That's super. Probably the negative is that, um, you know, you've got to, there, there are certain clients that I, I like to say they don't think through. They, they tend to react, you know, they, they, they get that, that email or they get that document and they just, boom, you know, they want to re respond to you quickly and yeah, it looks good. It looks good. And, and they're, you know, and then two minutes later, they're firing off another email, then another email. And, you know, and, and, you know, I, I tend to say with those clients, okay, let's step back a second. You know, I'm not going to read your emails for another hour, or I might not even read your emails till the end of the day. Think about what you're doing first before you respond. So there's definitely good or good and bad, but as far as how we, you know, and I should say too, that with regards to the technical changes, technological changes are just going digitally. You know, we were one of the um, beta firms uh, that tested the uh, like whole USPTO electronic filing back in the 1990s when they first introduced it. Um, you know, we've always tried to be on that edge, at the leading edge of this stuff. Um, again, we have to be able to provide things that other firms don't. So, you know, we really saw the move from the move to electronic filing at the USPTO and just the move to, you know, the whole uh, document sharing and things like that. We welcomed it because we saw that as an opportunity that as a small firm, we could adjust quickly. We could react quickly. You know, the, the negative to some of those larger firms is that it takes them a while to kind of shift their momentum, you know, to some of these newer trends and such. So we really, you know, have we, we've always embraced all the electronic changes, the technological changes. But the negative is, so that, that's very positive, but the negative is that there is this expectation of instant, instantaneous, you know, instantaneous response. The, the client sends you something and, boy, they want that response immediately. And they don't realize that you're getting 20 emails from 20 clients all at the same time. So I think you, you know, you as that small firm or that solo practice, you know, you've really got to make sure that you address everything as it needs to be addressed. And that means being thoughtful in making sure you take each client's email and each client's, you know, uh, patent application or their trade, whatever it is you're working on, that licensing agreement, and you give it the time it needs. And that might mean that you're getting 25 emails in the interim, but you've got to make sure that you kind of, you're not reactive, but you're very, again, thoughtful as you move forward. You've got to make sure that you give that time. You know, I think too, again, we've, with regards to how we've gotten our, our generated those customers, we've been very blessed that we have did, done very, very, very little advertising over the years. You know, we've really relied on our customers telling other customers or our customers um, just being happy with their work. If we've done any kind of, you know, quote unquote advertising, it's it's not been advertising so much as it's been, uh, we've taught, you know, we've, we've presented at local CLE conferences or, you know, local 
uh, barbs or organizations, that type of thing. Um, you know, we've given a, a little primer on IP law or something to non-IP attorneys in the bar organizations and things like that. But as far as how the practices changed over the years, oh my gosh, we have, you know, we do everything electronically. Everything's uploaded, downloaded, you know, everything's on the servers, uh, which means you better have your servers well protected, which we do. <laughs> um, so even probably one thing we do differently than a lot of small firms, you know, there's, we have a very wide reaching, very broad based um, global practice. And I think a lot of small firms kind of shy away from that. Um, but we took it as an opportunity back in, uh, what was it, 1997. Um, one of our, our large clients um, was actually bought, bought out. And the new company said, uh, you know, Hartman Global, would you continue doing the work? And we said, sure, of course, we'd love to. <clears throat> and they had a very wide broad foreign practice, which when we worked for the original client, we only did the US work. Their in-house patent department handled all the foreign work. Well, now this new company bought them out and the new company said, we want you to handle the work, Hartman, not only the US, but all the foreign. And it was really kind of an opportunity at that point to say, <clears throat> okay, we're gonna take it on. You know, this was new to us and we had only been in practice about seven years, but we inherited at that point quite a large global portfolio. And we said, yeah, we'll do it. And uh, basically I said, okay, I'm going to learn how to do all this with regard to each country. And, um, you know, that's what really set us up at that point And I think set us apart from a lot of small firms and uh, certainly solo practices because we've got a, um, you know, we file routinely everywhere and we've never been afraid of it. And, um, you know, I know some firms definitely shy away from it, but, uh, you know, we have just a, a, a large, large patent foreign portfolio, um, several hundred files. And we've got that same thing with regard to trademarks. And again, it's because we've never been afraid, you know, when something has come up that we maybe was a bit out of our comfort zone we said hey we're going to take it on and figure out how to do it and we did um so again if you're a small firm out there um you know that's something i would recommend don't be afraid to to jump in to do it so great there are a lot of uh, learnings packed into into a small uh, uh, you know statement that you have made there so uh, i'll challenge you further and and you know ask you to pick one of the most critical advice that you would want to give someone uh, who's thinking of starting a, a new practice? The, um, let's see, the most critical advice I would say is a um, couple things. <laughs> I'll leave you with takeaways. One, do not, you know, do not be afraid. Um, it's, it's kind of overwhelming at times, um, but it, the, 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 um, the benefits and the satisfaction definitely outweigh that. But, you know, you, you definitely have to uh, be willing to ride the highs and ride those lows, too. But secondly, I cannot stress enough, do not burn bridges, customer service, customer service, customer service, both in what you provide to the client, but what you expect from your outside people. But you want to make sure that you, you definitely value that team approach 
because you're not going to do it all on your own. You value that team approach and you value those team members. And you, again, you, you keep a tight rein on what's going in, what's coming in, what's going out as far as work product. But again, customer service, customer service, customer service. But it's worth it. <laughs> so... Great. That's, that's very inspiring, uh, Dominica. I'm sure these practices uh, that you've shared uh, will help our listeners in planning their decisions around the topics of uh, actually a very wide <laughs> set of topics of, you know, hiring, uh, you know, managing the work and, and customer delight, customer focus, like you said, uh, and to bring efficiencies into their practices. In case they have to have any questions for you, uh, can they reach out to you through some contact? Absolutely yes. <clears throat> I will give them um, my. I'll give them my phone number two one nine four six two four nine nine nine. But I will also give them my email d hartman d h a r t m a n at hartmanglobal ip dot com. So h a r t m a n g l o b a l ip dot com. Okay. I'd love to hear from you, and I'd love to answer any questions anybody has, and I would be very much uh, willing to help you. So, okay. So thanks a lot. Uh, I think great uh, learnings that you have shared with us. I've tried to capture a few of them. I'll try to summarize them. Uh, first one uh, that I took note of was uh, having a thick skin uh, to guide the book specifically, and then uh, uh, provide you know be able to provide things that others can't or others don't. Um, so as to you know, establish a very sharp focus on the of, on the customers, um, and especially uh, you know with the focus that you want on bridges. And I think uh, uh, two more things that I noted was uh, about uh, uh, you know choosing the people you work with selectively uh, and value the team approach. And uh, finally, you know, leveraging on opportunities uh, with the last example that you gave us uh, uh, that come on the way, uh, even if you are out of your comfort comfort zone. So that has been a great uh, learning. And on that note, let me thank you, Dominica, again. Oh, you're welcome. I hope it, I hope, uh, I hope it worked out well. <laughs> so. Thanks, and we'll sign off for the day. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice, with your hosts Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid from Sagacious IP. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate it and listen to more episodes in the series. For more information about supporting your practice with external resources, write to us at info at sagaciousresearch.com. Please do note that the contents of this podcast were intended for general informational purposes only. The views of the guests and hosts were their personal views and do not represent Sagacious IP. The facts of every legal matter are unique, and the content of this podcast should not be considered as offering legal advice for your specific legal situation. The preceding information may be considered attorney advertisement and does not establish an attorney-client relationship.